I don't think you can show up and do a good job if you're neglecting yourself. I couldn't say no. I was doing way too much, but I felt like that's what I needed to do to show my worth at the company and to show that, hey, I'm actually good at this job. For me, it is turning on my feelings. That, that was a big part of it because now I know, hey, my feelings, they're not the enemy and they are something that actually clues me into, hey, there's something wrong going on here. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. If you are new here, it is wonderful to meet you. My name is Jess. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a career coach for women in the nine to five space. I help women battle imposter syndrome and find confidence and find a powerful, authentic communication style. And on this show, I talk all about confidence and I interview women to get their wisdom and hear about their journeys building confidence. And today's interview is so juicy. It's such a good one. When I listen back to the interview and I prepare my notes for the intro, I usually do like a list of all the topics so that, you know, I can remind myself what we talked about and get you like warmed up and excited for the conversation. And I kid you not, the list of bullets that I have for today's interview, because today's guest, she is incredible. You're going to love this. The list, though, is so long. I'm going to read you the entire list just so you can get excited about how juicy this conversation is. And then I'm going to get into the interview and let you meet today's guest because it's such a good one. And I don't want to waste any more time. So here's what you will hear about in this interview. We talk about boundaries, balance, saying no, self-awareness, emotions as a clue, resentment, people-pleasing, crying at work, uh, the times that suck and how the times that suck help you build confidence, mental health, starting new jobs, the difference between fulfillment and achievement, worthiness, being kind and compassionate to yourself, processing emotions, mindset, anxiety, limiting beliefs, money struggles, paying off student loans, and wearing what you want at work. Uh, it's so good. Today's guest, Sidia, is amazing. She's an attorney and she opens up all about her own evolution of building confidence and becoming more self-aware and setting boundaries. I think you're going to find this conversation motivating and empowering and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. Quick announcement. If you haven't yet gotten my course on executive presence, Speak Like a CEO, it is free and I'm dropping it in the show notes. I'm seeing a lot of you are signing up for the course and taking the course and I'm so excited and I know that it's going to help you because the things in the course that I cover, that I teach, they're foundational. They're things that you need to do, that you need to have in your voice in order to command a room. But what I really want you to understand and what I talk about most when it comes to executive presence is it's not about becoming someone you're not. And if you are someone who struggles with your voice or doesn't feel confident, that doesn't mean you can't build executive presence. And in fact, it's the opposite. So the way that I teach executive presence and the way that I think about confidence and the way that I think about commanding a room is that you can learn that skill 
no matter what your starting point is. You can learn to do that without changing who you are, and you can build strength even if you struggle to feel confident and even if you feel like it's hard for you to feel strong and powerful when you're in front of a group of people. I know what it's like to feel small around people. I know what it's like to experience stage fright because those are big things that I've struggled with throughout my career. And I also know what it's like to grow and find your voice and find confidence in spite of those things. And I went from being so reserved and so quiet and so shy to being really authentic and really being able to express myself to performing, singing, improvised musical songs on stage in front of a theater full of people. And I really believe that if I can do it and if I can help those scared parts of myself feel brave and comfortable to open up and really cap Activate a room full of people. I really believe that you can too. And in this course, I teach you the fundamentals, the foundational tools for showing up in a meeting, in a room with people, and contributing to that meeting in a way that really positions you as someone who is strong and confident and authoritative and the leader. If you want to get the course, I will link it below in the show notes. You can also find it at jessgazitcoaching.com slash free resources. I am pumped for you to take it because if I do say so myself, it is an excellent course and it's free. Okay, now on to today's interview, which I'm so excited for you to listen to. It's so juicy. It's so juicy. So with that, let's meet today's guest and I hope you enjoy. My name is Cidia Gutierrez. I am a mental health advocate. I'm also a personal injury attorney in Las Vegas, and I am the co-host of Pivotal Moments podcast. I'm so excited to talk about your career and your podcast and all the things. Let's start at the beginning. So I love going back to the beginning of people's careers and asking them what was really hard when you first started your nine to five career. Really, I would say it was hard to have any kind of balance and just boundaries. I just, I had none. It was my entire life was, I'm a lawyer. It's so important. And everything was just live or die. And uh, that, that was probably the hardest part of the career. Just not knowing that I actually needed boundaries to be a better person and, you know, then a better attorney. Yeah. Looking back on that, are you able to recognize any beliefs that you had at the time that made you think like you couldn't put boundaries in in place that now you view the whole situation differently? Oh, completely. I would say one of the big things that I couldn't say no. I, I couldn't say no, like this is what is being asked of me and I'm not giving enough. I need to be giving more and you know, look at all these things you're not doing and, you know, those things. Now that I look at it, it's like, I was doing a lot. I was doing way too much. Uh, but I felt like that's what I needed to do to show my worth at the company and to show that, Hey, I'm actually good at this, at this job. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I do feel like it's a constant tension for people where there's the element of, okay, you want to perform and do a good job, but also, it's like getting into that pattern of saying yes to everything. It just dilutes your power. And obviously, you know, as your scope becomes bigger, that just doesn't work after a certain point. Is there anything that you could reflect on that you think 
might be helpful to someone who's like trying to walk that line. The what's coming up to me is the word hunger, right? You want somebody who's like a young Alexander Hamilton, everybody who's young, scrappy and hungry. Like that's, that's what people want at the beginning. And employers and particularly in law firms, they want that too, because they know that they can grind you and that you're just going to be willing to give all of it to them. And I now in hindsight hate that. I think that's one of the worst things that's going on in the profession because it's leading to burnout. It's leading to us having really high substance abuse uh, issues, really high suicide rates. Uh, We're already predisposed to it because of the profession and just kind of dealing with people's problems. But just that attitude of you got to churn and burn, like that's some law firm's attitude. Like, no, 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 we only want to hire, you know, first to three year associates because they don't have bad habits. But really, it's because they don't have the habit of saying no, and they're not going to tell you, no, this is more important. And it's almost easier to, to shame young practitioners into giving me your whole life, which now I'm like, no, no way, no how. It's so crazy. I don't know if you experience this, but the older I get, the more I look at philosophies like that. And to me, it just looks wacky. <laughs> like, how can we live this way? Like, It looks so broken the more I reflect on it. Absolutely. And now that I'm older, what I see is, oh, there was somebody in my position about my same age now who knew this and and had that knowledge. And it, it is, there's a part of me that's like really cynical. It's like they knew it and they were doing it intentionally. And there's another part of me is like, well, that's all they've known at the time. So really, maybe they just weren't aware. And I'm super self-aware now, way more than I think I've ever been in my entire life. And that has played a huge part into being able to say, yeah, that's not good for for me. It's not good for new associates coming into the profession. And it's probably a big reason as to why people leave. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So self-awareness. I also want to ask you about what your boundaries are and what those practices look like, but I think self-awareness is the key to so many things. So I want to hear more about what that what does that look like for you right now? For me, it is just, I mean, it's all the things. First of all, it was turning on my feelings. That that was a big part of it because now I know, hey, my feelings, they're not the enemy and they are something that actually clues me into, hey, there's something wrong going on here. Like, well, pay attention to this. Like, What's coming up to the surface and just really paying attention. And that's just that self-awareness of paying attention to myself. How am I feeling? Am I pushing myself too hard on something? Uh, am I letting uh, these things that mean something to me are slip, like those boundaries? If I'm letting those things slip, that's a clue to me, okay, what's going on here? Why are you rescheduling your whole life for for this luncheon that you really don't care about. Like what's going on here? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so crazy when you have those moments where you're doing something and you have like all this pressure around it. And then you step back and you're like, wait, I made this so important in my head and I'm not even sure why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I remember this, um, this one marketing meeting last year, this was um, pre-Rona obviously. And there was this pressure to go and to be seen and to meet these people. And it was so important. And I was so salty the entire time. I just did not want to be there. I was mad. It was, you know, I got home past my bedtime hour, like all of these things. And I went to my therapist and she's like, you know, you weren't mad at the guys for asking you to do that. You were mad at yourself. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you crossed one of your boundaries. That's why you were so resentful. And I was like, you're right. That's exactly what it was. I was so mad about this. And so then the next time they asked me to do something, I was like, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. And they were surprised. They were like, wait, did you just say no? It's like, yeah, have fun. Let me know next time. 
I relate to this so deeply and it requires so much humility though, because I feel like whenever we get into that resentful space, at least for me, I just want to blame everyone else. And it's a huge step, you know, to take that step back and actually take accountability. But then it feels so good because then you can change the outcome for next time. Absolutely. But it goes back to that self-awareness piece because now I know resentment is a clue. Resentment is a clue to me that I'm crossing some kind of boundary and there's something in, and if I'm not excited about RSVPing for something, why is that? Like I have to turn around and ask myself that, why are you not excited about this? It's like, well, because I don't want to be around a bunch of kids or because I don't want to be around, you know, insert whatever. And then I have a choice to make. Okay. Am I doing this because I want to be in the space? Is there something bigger that's going on that I want to participate in? Or is it just really some FOMO that, you know, I'm putting into my head, but yeah, really, it's not going to matter. And so then I can make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to participate in those things. But it all goes back to that self-awareness. I agree. And I think sometimes, I know for me as a recovering people pleaser, like a recovering severe people pleaser, sometimes I don't want to see the pattern because the challenge of learning to say no is a very big challenge. And I think, you know, it's like the reason we're people pleasing is because the pain of the thing we're agreeing to do is like less than the pain of saying no. And then that, those scales start to tip, but you still have to change to the new behavior. And that can be really hard and really scary, especially in a professional environment. Absolutely. Especially because you have those people pleasing tendencies, right? And you start thinking about that fear. What's going to happen when I say no to people? I'm not going to get opportunities. People aren't going to ask me for help. And people pleasers, you know, and I definitely have that tendency as well. We like being needed. We like being the go-to person. And there becomes a point where when is that too much? And when is that detrimental to, to myself, to my health? And especially when I was a baby lawyer, I just, I wasn't asking those questions. It was, oh yeah, no, give, give me more. Let me do more. Let me, let me show you how worthy I am by saying yes to everything. And that was just so backwards. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, how when you start saying no, people actually start perceiving you as more solid in a way. Like, have you noticed people relating to you differently as you've had stronger boundaries? Yes. I would say the first place I noticed it was with my family. I didn't realize how strong my boundaries were um, until there were a couple of times where my parents wouldn't come to me or my siblings asking for help and they'd gotten themselves into a bigger mess, but they were like, well, we just didn't think we could come to you on this. I was like, well, okay. I, I'm the kind of person that wants to see that you did your homework. If you still, you know, show me all the steps, show me that math problem, show me that you worked it all out. And if you still got stuck, I want to help you, but don't just come to me asking for the answer. Like that's where I usually get irked a little bit. Like I want to see that you've actually tried to figure this out. And if you've tried and you still can't do it, that's okay. That's what I'm here for, but I'm not here to actually show you how to go through all those steps and figure it out. So uh, a couple of times with my family, that's where it came up. And I was like, guys, you can actually come to me sooner, but then, you know, it's that double-edged sword. Cause I actually don't want to be fixing all your problems. See if you could figure it out. Like there's some power in you being able to figure out your own stuff. And I want to talk about feelings. You mentioned noticing feelings as part of your self-awareness. And I'm curious to hear more about that. Oh my gosh. You know, feelings, they kind of suck. But at the same time, they're so important to have because if you really want to feel 
the good stuff, you have to be willing to feel the bad stuff. And it's, you know, those highs and lows, right? You go up and you go down, but the highs are going to feel so much higher once you actually allow your feelings to be there. And yeah, the lows are going to suck, but it's so much faster to get out of them. And it, if I feel like the the good feelings last a little bit longer, but I also know this isn't a permanent state. I know I'm supposed to be going up and down, going up and down, you know, like a heart monitor. That's probably not helpful, but at least I can be aware of, hey, here are the things that are going on and just really be able to appreciate the good things more so. And it's funny too, because I have a board right now. I have a cork board, you know, those ones where people put their accomplishments or whatever. I thought it'd be really funny to have one that says the number of days since I last cried. And I have that in my office and I'm constantly updating it, but it's become such a talking point where people are like, you know, they're rooting for me not to cry for like more than 10 days, or they'll be like, what happened? And I'll be like, oh, you know, I saw a commercial and I got really excited about it. Like it's crying isn't a bad thing. It's a reaction. And sometimes it's coming from something more emotional. Sometimes it's, I was really happy about, you know, being grateful for my relationship and it brought me to tears and it's like, okay, well, there goes the board back to zero. Uh, But it's, it's been an interesting thing to just show people we have feelings and they're okay to have. Our culture has a really weird relationship with crying. It's fascinating. Absolutely. It does. But, you know, one of the one of the guys came into my office. He was like, you know, your board actually really helped me. I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, my uh, my girlfriend was got really emotional crying over the show. And when I asked her, I was like, well, what was it? She was like, I just needed to cry. And I just kind of thought of your board was like, hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And and it wasn't a thing. Like I wasn't trying to fix it or do anything. It was like, good, good job. Yeah. It's so interesting too what you said about the ups and downs. Because first of all, I think sometimes we have this fantasy of like our growth is just gonna only be ups. And like it sounds ridiculous saying it out loud, but I think our brain really thinks that sometimes. But also like the downs are where all the cool confidence and strength. It's it's not built in the ups. Like that's not where it happens for me. It's weathering that horrible, crappy, awful thing. And then knowing that I came out on the other side. So I'm just curious of like, if we zoom in on the downs, what do those mean for you? The downs for me usually mean a lesson, kind of like what you're talking about. Like that's where there's gonna be some growth, but what is it about this down? that I, that I need to work on. And, you know, recently I had a down where it was me realizing it was triggering an old story in my head. And that's what that whole down was. And it was just this whole, I'm not worthy spiral that I was in, but because again, back to self-awareness and knowing that about myself and then being able to get a little bit of perspective to get out of that, I realized, oh, wait, no, this is total BS. I'm totally worthy. This is not what it is. This situation is what's going to work best for me. And then I was able to snap out of it. And it was one of those things where I don't think I would have gotten there as quickly had I not been working on myself. And so really those downs give me that opportunity to figure out, okay, what is this that I need to be working on? Because I mean, we all have things that we need to continue to unpack. And that was one of those ones that I needed to spend a little bit more time reflecting on, even though I thought I was good. I'm like, I have a tattoo in my wrist that says enough. Like I thought I was good with that one, but no. Okay. Something triggered it and I was able to work on it. If someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, I'm in a down and I want to do that level of processing. Like how do I even start? What do I even ask myself? Is there anything that you would say to that person? Slow down and take a breath 
you need to give yourself that grace. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I do is I just, I need to breathe and just, okay, what, what am I feeling? And then actually try to figure out what that is. Is it something in my chest? Is it in my throat? Where is it in my body? And, and breathe into it and just give yourself a little bit of space and time. I think sometimes we want to get through the things so quickly that we don't want to spend that time in there. We don't want to sit in the suck because it feels like we're going to be there a long time. But if you give yourself that time, you're actually getting yourself out of it sooner and then you're able to move on to whatever action plan you come up with when you're giving yourself that time to pause. It's true. And it's so unglamorous. Yeah. Sometimes you need to ugly cry and that's okay. Yeah. And it's also sometimes I think not the answer again, that that part of our mind that just wants everything to go perfect all the time. Like that's not the answer it wants to hear. It wants like the magic trick to avoid all of the bad feelings. Oh yeah. No, it, it always wants to skip ahead. Okay. Well, let's get through this. Let's get through this bad part about setting up your business and all the, you know, yucky little things that have to go into that. Like, let's just get to the part where we're doing the things like, well, actually all of these are the steps right towards that bigger goal. And, and I've heard you talking about that on your podcast before. It's, you know, they're all little steps, baby steps towards the bigger thing. And it's the same thing when you're trying to get out of the suck. Totally. Yeah. And I love baby steps because it's very soothing. I think when we're in a place of feeling like either our goal is really big or we're overwhelmed or whenever something feels big, making it small is just such a comforting way to move forward. And I want to dig more into your mental health journey. And just from the way that you're talking about it, it sounds like you've built so much self-awareness and you almost have refined the process of working through things. Was it always like that for you or how did you get to where you're at with that now? That's a great question. No, I, it, it, um, it's nice to hear that it sounds refined, but it certainly doesn't feel like that. I can say for me, it really started with just being unhappy with my job and being unhappy where I was at. And I'd made a switch and I kid you not, within two two weeks of switching to a new firm, I had a total breakdown on the car, driving to this office, to this new commute. And uh, it was a song that I love very much so that just, you know, music has a has a way of affecting us and, you know, can bring up good memories and bad memories. And this one, for whatever reason, I was so attuned to the lyrics in this song that it just opened up the floodgates and I ugly cried my entire way to this new office. And I realized now that that was a panic attack. I had a severe panic attack in the car, Was should not have been driving my car, but I was. It was raining just as much inside my car as it was outside the car. It was just absolutely awful. And that finally led me to go to therapy because I was like, there's clearly something wrong with me. I just switched jobs thinking this will be a better place for me and I'm already miserable and it's it, and it's two weeks. So I didn't take it as this place isn't the right place for me. I took it as I'm broken. I'm so incredibly, you know, damaged somehow that I need to fix this. And, you know, what's interesting about therapy is what leads you to therapy isn't usually why you need to be there. So, you know, I just wanted to focus on the career and the job and, you know, this is, this is what it is. I was toying around with leaving the profession altogether and really when it came down to it, the profession 
wasn't the main problem. There were things that I was telling myself or, you know, these huge ingrained limiting beliefs that I didn't realize that I had until I started unpacking and working on those things. I'm very curious what song was playing. You know, it was uh, La La Land audition when Emma Stone's talking about, you know, here's to the fools, the dreamers and the playwrights. Here's to all the people who dream and, you know, foolish as it may seem. And I'm just... I was just, I was singing and I have this playlist that's my singing playlist. And I just, I love being able to do that at least like once a week. And for whatever reason, just those words just hit me as there's this praise towards the creative side. And here I was just completely ignoring that side of myself. And I think that's what it was when I look back on it. At the time, I wasn't doing anything remotely creative or fulfilling on that side of my soul. It was just trying to figure out how to, you know, continue to stay in this profession, pay off my student loans, do all of those things. And so in hindsight, I think that was really what it was. It was just, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful song to artists. Oh my gosh. I really relate to a lot of your story and what you're sharing. First of all, like new jobs, like those first few weeks, even months in a new role, I think we have to be really careful and caring for ourselves. Like, I think we think, oh, it's fine. I'll be fine. So that's a very challenging time, I think, for anyone, no matter the situation. I agree. And, and I think it's also a good opportunity for you to pay attention to yourself. I love a clean slate. I love being able to start at a new place, get new habits in place. Like I paired a new job with going to the gym and then I was able to keep that through, you know, until the lockdown happened. And so I, I like it. But at that point, I was so focused on working on getting my happiness by what I was doing on the outside and my achievements that I wasn't realized what was going on inside. So I actually needed that. I needed to be in that space. Were there some big takeaways from therapy that you feel like have been foundational to where you're at now? The big takeaways, definitely self-awareness. I think that was something that that I've always kind of known, but I wasn't able to identify. But the worthiness aspect, oh man, like I had no idea what I was carrying around with me due to my own trauma and childhood and things, but that worthiness aspect, just when I came to that, I got a message early on that I wasn't enough. And when I realized that's what was going on and one of my patterns, it was huge because I mean, you just, you just don't know all of the things that you have going on or when you picked them up so early on. And so I think having that self-awareness and then being able to work on those issues and giving myself more grace, giving myself a break for having feelings. I mean, you know, we make up stories in our head all the time based on feelings. And, you know, I've got my therapist being like, why are you being so hard on yourself? They're just feelings. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. I really, what you're saying is just really hitting home with me. I think even in the processing that we do sometimes when we're trying to work through that stuff, it's like, I don't know. It sounds like what you're describing is something I've experienced too, but I'd love to hear is like, we're being hard on ourselves while we're in the process of like trying to work through the thing, you know, just like trying to give ourselves the space. And we still have that dialogue of like, oh, I shouldn't be this emotional. It shouldn't be this hard. And it's free. It's like freeing to see that. And also it's sometimes sad for me, at least when I realized how prevalent that voice is and how much management it requires and how, how unfortunately, how big a role it's played in my life. No, it, it is. And I see it in others. And I want to help other people with, with those issues because it is something that 
we are so much harder on ourselves. But once I started being nicer to myself and just started treating myself, you know, basically reparenting myself in a lot of different ways, that's when I really started to see more changes in myself where, you know, not not that I became uninterested in things, but I just, they weren't as big of a deal I would have made them out to be before. And I think that in my profession is seen as really odd because everybody's just, you know, it's win or lose. Everything's your, you know, win or die kind of attitude. And it's like, kill or be killed. It's like, whoa, whoa, it's not that serious. Like I'm, I'm a civil attorney. I'm dealing with money most of the time. It's really not life or death. Like we can calm down here. But for a long time, that was not the attitude. It was everything is just so big and major. And you're like, no, it, it doesn't have to be. I agree. And I think that creates so much pressure for employees and for people and companies. And I just think about this a lot of, you know, what can companies and teams and leaders do to try to shrink that because that kind of stress, I don't think we need that to perform well. I just don't think it has to be there. And and I think for me, I totally agree with what you're saying. I don't think we need that kind of stress in there. But what has really come to the surface for me most recently is that, you know, you're not just blank. You're not just an accountant. You're not just a lawyer. You're not just whatever it is. And for me, that shift of lawyering is a skill set, not an identity that paradigm shift for me has been has been huge because i'm now giving myself permission to be my full self and yeah this happens to be one of the skills i have but it's not all of me and that also means that i don't give that job all of the power and i th- i think that that's why people make things so much bigger because they are giving so much of themselves or their entire selves or just putting that identity in i'm this executive i'm this person it's like no no that's that's part of you, but that's not the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. And also how do you hold that in one hand and then in the other hand, hold the idea that you care about your career, right? It's like, first it's that separation of the human from the job. And then it's like, and how do I hold the complexity of, I want to show up for this and really do a good job. And I think you can do both, but I don't think you can show up and do a good job if you're neglecting yourself. I completely agree. And that actually leads right into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is just practices that you've brought into your life and maybe they've evolved over time, but what you like to do to care for your mental health, both in the work setting and then, you know, evenings and weekends, just what some of that looks like. Yeah. So before we started recording, I went on a walk. I try to do a daily, um, some sort of exercise every single day since quarantine's happened that has turned into a walk. So I do about two to three miles a day and that has been really powerful. But even when I was in the middle of some sort of shitstorm, for lack of a better term, at work or felt like everything was just too much, that was one of my go-to things. I would just grab a pair of headphones and I'm going to go do a lap around the building, put on one of my favorite Fallout Boy songs and just let it go because I would inevitably every single time I would come back with a better attitude. And so for me, again, it always goes back to music, giving myself that time, a five minute song. I can do that. That is manageable during the day and going outside and just taking a deep breath outside. That is also doable. If it's not doable, just getting out of my space, because even sometimes just being in your own workspace can feel suffocating during those moments, right? Just get out of it and just walk around. So for me, I always have, you know, multiple pairs of headphones. And so for me, definitely that's 
that's something just walking and moving to get out of things. The thing that I learned through therapy that's been really helpful has been journaling and doing more of narrative therapy. Uh, I, I could tell you that last year I was on a trip and I injured myself during the trip. And I also got into, I don't think I got into a fight with my mom so much as I got really upset with her and some of her behavior that I ended up writing an entire book on my phone. I just escaped into writing into my phone and was like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I wrote an entire very naughty fantasy story on my phone, but it was, it was just that act of writing. And so when I came back and told my therapist, she's like, I'm not at all surprised that that's what happened. And that's how you coped with the situation was through writing and using what you had, which was, you know, a, a note on my phone. Writing has a way of just like when it's in our brain, it's so different than when it's on paper. It's insane to think about. But it's such an easy thing to do where you just, you know, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. You don't have to share it with anybody. It doesn't have to be anything else other than taking that space to write. So if I can write, I'll do that. If I can go out and walk, listen to a song, that'll help too. Sometimes I, I don't listen to anything and just getting out helps. And I would say the other thing too that really has helped would be doing something for somebody else, getting out of my own head and just not focusing on that problem has been really helpful. I've noticed that more and more. And it's like, oh, okay. Eventually I have to go back to deal with my problem. But if I can get out of my own head, that is helpful. Yes. I like reminding myself that I'm not the center of the universe. I'm You're like, not. No, but it seems like it a lot of the time. <laughs> it's the trippy thing about this human experience. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're all the main character in our own films, right? It's like, actually, the no. You're not the center of it. That's a good reminder. I'll have to remember that too. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Sometimes I laugh at my own ridiculousness. And just when you said that reminding of yourself just reminded me of how I just forget sometimes. And I think doing things for other people or thinking about other people's experiences is just such a healthy way to remember how subjective what we're going through is like, yes, our experience of it is real, but it is not the entire world. Right. But at the same time, I also would caution anybody to not minimize themselves with it. Right. Because I know it's like, oh, okay, you know, she's, she's a lawyer. She's whining about her job. Like things aren't that bad. It's like, yeah, but there's still valid feelings to me and there's still valid feelings to you. Right. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll get into that danger zone of comparison and like, oh, well, my struggles aren't as bad as somebody else. And it's like, well, they're still your struggles and it's okay for you to feel that way. So I would when I try to help somebody, it's okay, well, what can I do to just help and not necessarily compare, but just it's more of giving. Let me give a little bit of, of myself, mostly to just get out of my own head. So it's actually pretty selfish, but you know, it ends up being a pretty positive result. Yes, I relate to that very much. And on a slightly similar note, I want to talk about mindset and I want to get all of your wisdom and experience. Has mindset been something that's felt relevant for you in your professional life? Yes. And I would say more so since I actually started working on mindset, once I realized just how valuable that is and what a huge game changer it is, I'm, I'm all in for mindset. All, all the things I totally think you can train your brain into thinking more positive thoughts and really just being able to get that perspective and get out of, get out of your own way. I mean, our brains you know, lie to us a lot. Unfortunately, they're super 
amazing creatures. But if you have been telling yourself all these lies, your brain's just gonna be like, oh, okay, we're playing that record again. All right. Like, here you go. That's what you need to hear. And it just fights for all the evidence to say, oh yeah, no, I'm not good enough. Oh yeah, here, let me show you the highlight reel of all the reasons you're not good enough. It's like, okay. But if you start telling your brain, no, I'm fantastic. It's like, oh, okay. We're fantastic now. Let me pull all of that up. It's kind of appalling. So the more that I gain intimacy with my own brain, the more appalled I am that this is how this thing works. It's just like you realize that so much of what we think is true, we really think it's true. It's not. (laughs) It's so subjective and it's shocking, but then it's relieving in a way because you get to see yourself through a gentler lens, a more forgiving lens of, oh, like I'm doing pretty good. It's not so awful. Yeah, it's, it's not so bad. And hey, brain, I'm having this struggle with the 3 a.m. thoughts. And for a while there, I thought, you know, it's just my brain trying to protect me. And I was actually thanking my brain. I was like, thank you, brain. But we, we really just want to go back to sleep. And it'd be like, what? Well, write, write down all the things, Sidia. Do it right now. It's like, okay. So I'd, I'd, you know, have a little notepad next to my bed and I'd write down the cases I was worried about. And it's like, okay, now can we go back to sleep? It's like, yes. And then recently, like last week recently, another voice popped into my head. I was like, why are you thinking your brain? This actually isn't helpful. And my consciousness was like, you're absolutely right. Who is this? This is anxiety. That 3 a.m. isn't my brain. That's anxiety being like, do all the things right now. And I was like, oh, what are you doing here? Go away, anxiety. And then I was able to fall back asleep. And now that's been the struggle of me just realizing, hey, that 3 a.m. thought isn't my brain trying to help me or protect me. It's, it's just my anxiety. And I have to figure out how to manage that. And, you know, I started doing affirmations of I sleep through the whole night. I sleep through the whole night. And I was like, hey, you know, I did pretty good. I made it to 5 a.m. without waking up with anxiety. All right. Progress. Oh, I'm so glad that you're talking about anxiety because I don't think it gets talked about enough. I am definitely a sufferer of it and not, not the way that everyone's like, oh, I have anxiety, like an actual sufferer. And I think workplaces can challenge anxiety in really, really difficult ways. I mean, everyone's different, but I would just be curious for you, like what has come up in a workspace around that and what has really helped you manage it? That's a good question. What has really come up is just noticing the agitation, noticing what am I, what am I trying to do or why am I avoiding something? So it'll be, you know, like biting my nails or I keep, you know, it's probably not a good thing, but I keep hard candies all over the place for whatever reason. I just want to have something to bite or chew while I'm working out through something. Sometimes I can catch myself and be like, okay, am I doing this out of a habit because this is what I do when I write? Or am I doing this because of something else that's going on? And again, I can go ahead and take a look at it. And you know, most of the time I'll continue to do it. But I mean, I will, I will eat sweet tarts to the point that like I'll get sores in my mouth. It's like I'm harming myself. It's like, this isn't good. Like you need, you need to rein it in and deal with whatever it is it that's going on at the moment. But yeah, work can definitely trigger that, especially when you're feeding off of other people's anxieties. So I've actually found that having the opportunity to do more work from home has been really powerful because I'm just not taking in other people's stuff. It's the talking to them on the phone or messaging them through like Slack or texting. There's a barrier there that actually helps protect me where I don't have to take on everybody's things. And I also think I'm a bit of an empath. I don't know exactly how to diagnose that, but I definitely feel other people's feelings. So having 
that bit of distance has certainly helped. This is all really relevant. And I'm guessing it's probably relevant for anyone who's listening. And I totally relate to soaking up other people's energy. And it can just be a relief to have a break from that. Although it is a little bit lonely on the other on the other it, hand. It is. And so what I do is we actually have a, an office now um, where we consolidated all of our smaller offices. So we call it our headquarters. I'll pop in when I want to, but I'm not spending a lot of time there right now. Yeah. And going back to mindset and change and this idea of, because you mentioned limiting beliefs and working through those and this idea of showing ourselves that we can do things that maybe we didn't think we could. What has your experience been like of maybe having a situation that you thought was hard or that you couldn't do? Have you ever had places where you've like broken through that and really showed yourself that you can show up in a way that's maybe bigger than you thought you could? Yeah, I would say probably in my handling of money. Handling money was always something where I had the belief of, you know, money's meant to be spent. I'm, you know, anytime I get money, it would just, you know, burn a hole in my pocket, all of those things. And so I was awful with it, just completely awful. And little by little, I had to learn how to do that. But I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck as a baby lawyer because I didn't know how to handle myself at all. And it wasn't necessarily that I had an increase in income so much as I had a mindset shift on how I handle money. It's like, no, I can handle money. And I can pay off my student loans. I can live on a budget. I can do these things. And little by little, as you see that that big debt going down and eventually being gone, I paid it all off in 2019. It was such a relief of like, oh, I can do this and I can save money and I don't have to be in a situation where I'm constantly worrying about it. Like that that's the last thing on my mind is, is money. And it's because I've learned how to manage myself and I know that I can handle myself. I know that I'm not going to go run up a bunch of debt or that I'm going to be at risk for bankruptcy or, or things like that, things that I've worried about. Like, no, I'm good because I've now put in different strategies for myself to help me with these things. So I think that was probably the one of the biggest mindset shifts that I've had. And the, But it, it took some time. Money is such a loaded, controversial topic. And I sometimes wish there was more open discussion about it because it it causes pain for people in so many ways. And it's so strangely taboo in certain ways in our culture, which really fascinates me. But I also had massive student loans and, oh my gosh, it caused me so much psychological distress that if I had had tools at the time, I probably could have worked through, but I didn't. And so it just all felt like massive and overwhelming. Well, and, and this goes back into the mental health stuff, right? Because you learn your money skills from your parents. And if your parents don't have it, like, where are you going to learn it from? And so you have to understand you, whatever messages you got about money, you got it from somewhere, right? And we get that, we get it early on. And so those are things that we have to work on. So when we're talking about mental health, we're not just talking about, you know, your feelings, your inner child and things that a lot of people think like, well, that's way too woo woo. It's like, this is a practical issue that so many people have of how are, how are you dealing with money or just what value you put on it? Not, you know, the actual value, but, you know, what it means in society. Like there's so many different things. You're absolutely right. It's so loaded, but like that was a big one. And I met uh, Matt and he, he never struggled with money. Like he wasn't somebody who was fixated on it. And I was like, I want to be like him. Like, and then I just started asking him questions and little by little, he's like, all right, well, like, you know, let's, let's see what all of your expenses are. And I was like, oh, really? Like we we're really going to look at all of that. He's like, yeah. 
Yeah. He's like, and let's work on a rainy day fund. I was like, a rainy what? What are you talking about? Like I had no idea, but it, it helped. It made a difference, but it did require being open enough to ask those questions and being in a space where I felt like I would actually get some good answers. Yeah. Is Matt an advisor or a partner? I couldn't tell. He's my partner. He's my partner. Yeah. Because at first I thought partner, but then I was like, well, it sounds like he could be a financial advisor. He he is. But no, that that was probably one of the first things that I started asking him questions outside of the relationship. So I've, I've gotten to where I've gotten, you know, we actually had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago. He's like, give yourself more credit. You did the work. I was like, yeah, but you helped. And he's like, no, no, you did all of it. You paid off your student loans. I'm like, yes, I did. I get that. But you were there. You're part of the team. So we're, we're still, we're still debating on that one. Tell me how it felt when you made your final loan payment. I just want to feel that for a second. Oh, that was, <laughs> it, it was so much fun because I could see it coming. Because at some point, like once you get under like even $100,000, once I got under that number, it was just snowballing down and it was like, yes, all right, this is the time. And so there was so much more motivation. And there's this great song on YouTube that's like, I finally paid Sally May back. I was so happy to post that because it was like, yes, I'm done. And then afterwards, it's like, well, now what do I do? And I wanted to spend money, but then I was like, hmm. No, I'm good. And then I just, and then I started saving. Like it, it just, it gave me such a good habit of saving money. Like I, I just replaced it. It's like, okay, well, instead of paying the government and paying 45, now I'm paying myself. And that just felt so much better. Oh, I relate so deeply. I also had gigantic law school loans. Law school is really expensive. And that feeling of having it gone. And so if there is anyone listening who's still under the mountain of debt, like know that it's worth it. It is worth it to get to the end. And it is worth it, but it really depends on what you want because I have friends that don't want to pay it off. They're like, whatever, I want to use that money to save for my kid's college or to buy my house and do all those things. That's fine. You got to know what your reason is and then you can stick with that. For me, it was, I can't fathom giving one, this administration, any more money, the the prior administration. If I had student loans, I'd I'd pay them up to you, Biden, but that's not going to happen. So there was that aspect, but mostly it was just, I'm getting taxed for being poor. I'm going to end up paying this for like ever, like no. And so I just really made that a priority, but that worked for me and that doesn't work for everybody. And that's okay. It's just, you know, if you want to be at the end of that tunnel, though, you can be, and that's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I agree. It's such a personal decision, money stuff. And I want to talk a little bit about identity. And I love asking people about their relationship with their own femininity. And for you, I'd love to hear about, you know, being a Latina woman, how you experience that in your life versus in a professional setting, if there are differences or distinctions there. There there are definitely nuances, but what I've noticed the more I come into myself and into being a whole person. I have to accept all of it. And so I'm not wearing it right now, but I usually have some sort of really fun lipstick, like a purple. And so that I'm kind of known for that now. I'm known for wearing these bold colors and for wearing, you know, sassy glasses. Like those those are the little things that I do to be a bit more feminine. But I also stopped wearing suits. Like suits are just for me, yeah, they're not, they're not powerful. I don't feel good in them. I always feel like I look too frumpy, uh, like they're just not very flattering. And so instead I ended up adopting more of the like pinup style clothing. And there's some fantastic dresses that are like, you know, mod 60s, mad men type dresses that I can wear that look good 
and I feel comfortable wearing to court and yeah, showing, you know, I have curves, I have these other things and, you know, I like wearing the Mary Jane high heels and I feel good. Like at the end of the day, that's what I want. I want to feel good. And if these are the things that I'm doing to feel good, I'm going to continue to do them. And it doesn't matter or take away from what I'm doing for you in my work. It actually enhances it because I'm not as worried about, you know, oh, this jacket's too tight. I can, you know, I can't button it or whatever else is going on. So yeah, I I think I've embraced more of my femininity in my clothing and, and style as I've grown into myself. My soul is like beaming hearing you say that because I had the same struggle with suits. I just didn't feel like myself in them. And in what you're doing, you're you're doing a favor to all women. You're doing a service to everyone, right? By like identifying who you want to be and sticking with that because you're going to give so many other people permission now, whether they're hearing it or seeing you out in the world. It's like, that is what we need to be happening. Oh, thank you. That, that feels really good. It, it's, it is one of those things where you don't realize that it can impact other people. But yeah, I mean, suits, they're not for me. And some women love them and they look fantastic in them. If you feel good, go for it. For me, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I feel like I'm playing dress up when I put on a suit. Like I'm trying to play the part of an attorney. And it's like, okay, well, I always wanted to be a TV lawyer, but not really like that. Like, you know, I wanted to be on law and order. Like that's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. To everyone their own, you know, for me, I can't, I don't have a full range of movement in a suit. Like, I just feel like I can't move my arms. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. I I just don't, I would love though, I will say this to get like a suit from like the 1940s, like a custom made suit that's just straight, straight out of World War II. It, those, they look really good, but they were also tailored to women. They were super feminine and cute and just you know, these signature pieces. Like I would wear one of those, but the stuff I have to go buy at Macy's, no, it just doesn't work for me. Oh, I relate so deeply. And I want to talk about your podcast. I want to hear all about it. So tell us what inspired it. Well, it was one of those things where when I was toying around with getting out of the law, I kept toying around with it. And I got to tell you and your listeners, I was so paralyzed by fear of starting this podcast that I bought the equipment back in 2018. I bought my mic that I'm using now. I bought my little Scarlet. And I even think I bought a domain name. And as soon as everything came in from Amazon, I left it in the box. I left it in the box until quarantine in 2020. I was just, oh yeah, no, that's a good idea. And I got so excited. And then I just, I couldn't pull the trigger. I I wasn't able to do that. But I kept going back to this idea of talking to people who got out of the law and, you know, what they were doing, because that's what I was fantasizing about. Like, yes, what am I going to do with not actually litigating anymore? And it evolved over time to really talking to people about what are those big changes. So the podcast that I co-host is Pivotal Moments. It's a podcast sharing, exploring, and celebrating stories of change through mindset and wellness and their effects on our relationships, both to ourselves and others. And that really has evolved also from, you know, talking about just changes people are making to really those effects of the mindset and wellness. That's really the themes that have come out through interviewing people and moving forward. And it's actually very therapeutic. I don't know if you found this with your podcast. Like I've learned so much and my co-host, same thing. Even her therapist was like, I didn't think we'd get here as quickly. This podcast is really good for you. <laughs> it's like, she was like, well, I was hoping we would get here. So it's, it's been a fun journey just to kind of see where it goes and using your voice and putting it out there. 
That's fantastic. And I totally agree. I think there's something about having these conversations. I, I say this a lot to guests who don't have a podcast where like, when I do this interview, I get to know you and talk to you in a way that I wouldn't talk to you if we just met. I'm going to go straight to all the topics that are most important. And there's something about that that is so cool. Yeah. And also just an opportunity to network sounds wrong. That's not the right word. It's to connect. It's really connecting with people that I would have no opportunity to to connect with otherwise. And that's been the fun part for me, that and being able to connect with my co-host, Melissa Robaina. You know, we've been friends for a long time, but we've been having conversations that we've never had before because of the podcast. Like we just have this additional level of intimacy now that wasn't there before. And it's nice because, you know, you just, you get to continue with your growth and you get to have a good time. Oh my gosh. Yes. We'll link your podcast below. Is there anywhere else where people can find you online or anything that you want to share with everyone? Yeah. So, you know, we're on all things podcasts. So Spotify, iTunes, all the things you can find us there, Pivotal Moments HQ. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I post a lot of things on there and that's uh, cydia.gutierrez.esquire or their underscores, whatever it is that (laughs) that Instagram lets you do. So I I do a lot more on there. I'm trying to build things and I'm actually starting to work on my own coaching journey. I know that that was something that you embarked on recently. So I'm I'm curious how that's going for you, but that's uh, probably something that will be documented, I think, on the podcast as we go forward. Congratulations. Thank you. That's really exciting. Are you coaching now or is it something you're going to do out in the future? I actually start a fundamentals course next week that I'm super excited about. And I do mentor a lot of young women who want to go to law school. I've been doing that for a long time, but this is actually taking a step into the coaching industry uh, that I'm really excited about. I am so pumped for you. We will have to stay connected because, I mean, you've done so much inner work, so you know this, but it's like your life will now change again. And I'm so pumped for you. Thank you. I'm excited. It's it seems like the right move. Yeah. Well, if it feels right, it's like that feeling inside, you know? Okay. We're going to do the closing questions, which are my favorite part. And today we have three. The first closing question is a piece of advice for everyone listening. What is one thing that someone can do today or this week to feel more confident and empowered in their career? Learn and practice the word no. Such a good one. That that doesn't need any more commentary. (laughs) It really doesn't. It's just, you got to practice it and you got to say it with conviction and you have to know when to use it and when it's right for you. And that leads so perfectly into the next question, which is about the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. I love to ask every guest, what does the art of speaking up mean to them? For me, it is about speaking up for yourself. And one of the first areas that I did that in was saying no. And so that's why for me saying no is, you know, that's what it is. The art of speaking up is it's an act of self-love. It's an act of you putting yourself first because it's what's needed in the moment. And you're going to give so much more when you're able to take care of yourself. And for the final question. So this question came from the same thing that inspired the show, which is I had this time in my career where I was feeling very overwhelmed not confident. It was a dark time for me and I didn't really have any light at the end of the tunnel that I could find at the time. And so I started this show to create that for anyone who might be struggling with self-doubt or just going through a tough time. And I love to give this last spot to the guests to share 
anything that you'd want to share to someone who's hitting a rough patch or who is just looking to feel stronger and more confident? I love, I love that concept. I would say for anyone who's listening, you are absolutely enough and you are worthy of everything that you could possibly want. And it's okay for you to take time for yourself. It's okay for you to say no. If you feel like you need permission to work on yourself, here you go. You you have that permission. You can go and work on yourself. You can do whatever it is that brings you that joy and that spark. Because I got to tell you, you are better for yourself and for the world when you're fully yourself. I love that. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. I loved today's conversation. And one of the things that I love most, which you may have noticed if you've listened to several episodes or several interviews, is I love talking about the full like spectrum and full range of emotions that we experience in our confidence building journey. I really do not think that building confidence is about just like feeling good and strong all the time. I really think a huge part of the confidence building journey is learning to be in those harder moments, those darker times, just those instances where you feel awful. I actually think those are integral to your journey of building confidence. I don't think you can build confidence without those things. And it is interesting because I do think sometimes we want our journey to be linear and easy and straightforward and we want it to have no challenges, right? We just we want to commit to our growth and then everything goes well from that point onward. And that's not how it works and that's not how it should work because it's very hard to build actual enduring strength without going through hard moments and learning to be with yourself in the hard moments. That is a massive part of the puzzle. And if you miss that, you miss the real confidence building and you miss enriching yourself as a leader. And that's why I love these types of conversations where we're talking not just about like feeling strong and confident and amazing and finding that unique expression of self, but also just talking about the things that are hard and the struggles and the downtimes. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you want to sign up for my free course on executive presence, you can find that in the show notes below. And if you're interested in working with me, I now have two ways that you can work with me. So the first way is just one-on-one coaching. I have a few spots left to take on -on one-on-one clients. And the second way is um, I do corporate coaching and speaking. So if you want to bring me to your company and work with me in that way, you can reach out to me through my website and I'll drop my contact information below. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're still plugging along like during this wacky, draining, really hard time in the world between the pandemic and like what's happening with social justice issues and everything that's on the news. It's been really, really hard for different people in different ways, right? Um, But I hope that you're doing what you can to take care of yourself. Hopefully you're using your voice also to talk about issues that matter, issues that are important. I'm going to be trying to do that more and more on the show and on, you know, wherever I put out content and talk about things because I think it's important and I really want to be using my voice to talk more about the injustices that are happening 
I'm not an expert or educator on this topic at all, but I can link below in the show notes some places you can go that have been helpful for me to learn and just keep learning. Just keep going, keep peeling the layers. All right, that brings us to the end. Have an amazing week. I hope you're doing so, so well. And I'll catch you next week for a solo. Okay, bye.